0: all right hey listeners welcome back to the unrestricted movie podcast i'm here uh your host josh with of course my friend ryan say hi to everybody ryan hi everybody ryan <laughs> oh was, you see what i did there it yeah. was really good uh, I'm, I'm full of jokes like that well, just keep them coming cuz we're going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs>
1: yeah, cuz we're we're talking about a really fun movie, a really I just full of
0: movie, full of jokes and laughs, <laughs> and but uh, welcome back you guys. It's been uh not that long since our last episode but it's our first episode of the new year 2022 it's been a while it's been a while it's
1: been a while
0: (laughs) so yeah happy new year everybody yeah happy new year you guys feliz año nuevo josh
1: when you say feliz año nuevo Uh remember to put the enye on año or else it becomes ano which means anus on on Happy no, put the enye, the the little squiggly on the Oh, I didn't know that end. was the name for it. Yeah. I thought it was
0: just called a squiggly. <laughs>
1: is it not called a so squiggly? So if you want to say Happy New Year, it's Feliz Año Nuevo. But if you, if you say ano, it's Happy New Anus.
0: Well, Happy New Anus is to everyone. <laughs> I. <laughs> Thank you so much for that information, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. you know what I might I might accidentally tell a few people that and just be like I didn't know know, spread the word trying to teach everyone Spanish
1: that I can yeah I
0: have a I have a bunch of students who speak Spanish oh yeah so speaking of
1: have you uh, seen the new Encanto movie I I think like a lot of dads uh, we have those songs stuck in our heads Uh, have you seen that we don't talk about
0: Bruno
1: (laughs) actually on this podcast we do talk about Bruno we talk about
0: Bruce Willis Bruno (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, I, I like that movie. That's
1: a fun Fresh movie, <laughs> <laughs> That's some good music. You know,
0: maybe maybe in a couple episodes we can just do a whole episode of us singing songs. We should just do drinks. a
1: Disney episode. A Disney episode <laughs> where we sing. We talk about all these wow. rated R movies that we never got to see. We should just talk about all the Disney movies that we, were, we were forced to see as kids. <laughs> I don't know. I,
0: I like Disney movies for the most part. Yeah, me too. But when you're watching just Disney movies like your whole life until you're 30 years old, it kind of sucks. Right. <laughs> there's
1: there's not a lot of exposure to uh, different things besides uh, musical animations. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. Part of my experience in religion is that I feel like adults are made to feel and act as children a little bit
0: you get kind of get what I mean yeah, right? it's,
1: it's this whole thing we bring up constantly on the podcast of uh, arrested development and just oh absolutely you know, I mean but that's that's the premise of our podcast right being <laughs> in our mid-30s and and not having experienced all the joys and wonders of this corrupt world <laughs> I know and corrupt it is as we will talk about yes in yes our discussion today so why don't you let the listeners know who haven't read the title of the podcast <laughs> what we'll be talking about today? Oh, I'm going to push
0: pause on that for just a second, Ryan. Okay, and I just I just want to refer everybody to our most recent podcast before this one, our yes. end of the year like wrap up podcast. Mm-hmm. I just want to say if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's a great intro to what we are doing here, and it gives sure. you you know some insight into some of the things that our podcast is about and what we've talked about over the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, um, so. I think um, if you're new to the podcast, that's a great place to start. That episode. It's kind of a retrospective on what the movies we've already covered, but if you want to, we don't have a lot of episodes. Uh, we've covered what thirteen movies so far. So thirteen or fourteen, yeah. yeah so so go go check them out um, if you have the time. It's only about an hour each episode. So
0: yeah, feel free. Yeah, and then thanks for joining the ride and listening to us talk about stuff, man. Hell yeah, yeah. The movie, yes. The movie
1: is The Godfather. Yes, and so there there are three parts of this movie. This this, this uh, film series is a trilogy, mm-hmm. right? I think we've decided so far just to watch the, the first two. That, that's what we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to split it up into two episodes. So next week, listeners, we'll be talking about The, the Godfather 2. You can hear us talk about that. I guess what I want to ask you is, after seeing the first two, do you want to watch the third movie?
0: Not really. <laughs> I'm okay. going to be... Completely honest. Hey, it's not that, that I didn't enjoy these films, and we'll dive deep into our opinions in a minute, but there were some, cert- there were certain aspects of the second movie that do not endear me to wanting to go watch the third. Interesting. Okay, w- that, like be... I said, I don't want to spoil everything we're going to talk about, and right. we, it will come up, but those are my feelings on what I want to really watch the third movie. Is the third movie three and a half hours long, too? I,
1: I, I can't wait to touch on, on your <laughs> thoughts on the second movie, but the third, <laughs> third movie... Um... I think it's about as long as the other two. Okay. There is a re-edited version of the movie. When the third movie came out, it wasn't well-received by critics uh-huh. or by anyone, really. Okay. <laughs> there was criticisms of the acting by Francis Ford Coppola's daughter in the movie. What's her name? Sophia Coppola. Oh, oh, the director? She's a director now. Oh, I didn't know that. She stars in the third movie. And so there's some criticisms on the acting, on the story, and the editing. But Francis Ford Coppola recently re-edited the film, and a lot of critics are saying that this is the film that should have been the third movie. That When, this, did,
0: that, when did they release the new edited version?
1: This was last year. I'm sorry, this was in 2020, I believe.
0: Oh, huh. well... You hyped it up, so maybe I'll want to watch it now. I don't know. We can, we'll we talk about it.
1: Right. You know? So this movie, yeah. it, uh, uh, the trilogy itself, is based on the book by Mario Puzo. I, I remember listening to the audiobook as a 15-year-old, but there are a lot of aspects of the novel that I just don't remember. Uh-huh. You, however, recently read this book, correct? I did.
0: So in preparing for this podcast... I read the book before, and I did it before watching any of the films. Probably better that way. You know what? Actually, after reading the book and then watching the movies, I was let down a little bit. Let down by the movies or by the book? Let down by the movies a little bit. So I think the problem for me was I read the book and I loved the book, and I got hyped up for the movies, and I think I went in with a little too much hype.
1: Although interesting. Okay. So So the Godfather films are a classic. So I
0: should. I think I'm right you know, to really hype him up. But, I don't know, for me, the feeling of the novel didn't fully translate to the screen. Oh, really? Yes.
1: Okay, so, and and you know that Mario Puzo was heavily involved in the screenwriting of the movies. Yeah. So, I'm wondering how much hand the production studio had in dictating what he should write for the screen, or if he kind of had free range to write what he wanted.
0: Well, so I actually did a little bit of research into that, And it was part of the, like, foreword of the book that I read, of Mario Puzo's book. All right. They worked together on all of the scripts. So what they did is they would travel to I don't know where Vegas or I'm assuming Vegas. They would stay at a casino. Right. And then in between gambling, they would go up and work on the screenplay. So once they've like <laughs> lost all their money or lost a bunch of money, uh-huh. then they would take a break and go work <laughs> on the screenplay and then oh, you know go back in in between gambling. So as far as I can tell from what I've read, they worked really as a team on the screenplays for these films. Okay.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I know that Coppola himself had a lot of insight, and he wrote a lot of what was in the movie Mm -hmm. also. But yeah, we're talking about the first Godfather today. Uh, I think last year it celebrated its 50th anniversary. Dude, it's old, man. It's (laughs) pretty old, but I mean, it gave us some of our top stars of cinema. You know, we have Marlon Brando. I mean, he was a star before this, right?
0: I mean, you
1: can't beat that cast, right? Yeah. The cast Al Pacino. is amazing. Uh, who else do we have? We have...
0: You've got James Khan
1: James Khan as Sonny. We have uh, Robert
0: Duvall as Robert Tom. Robert Duvall. Well, that was, he was actually one of my, that was one of my favorite performances
1: from the, f- the two movies I yeah. watched actually,
0: and then there's Talia Shire of Rocky right. fame. <laughs> that I think that's awesome. I'm a big
1: Rocky fan. We have a frequent Conan O'Brien guest, Abe Vigoda. <laughs> is he really a? Name? <laughs> he, he was no always, idea. He was always appearing on the Conan O'Brien show. Well, back cool. when he was on NBC. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but like, solid performances, obviously from everybody, right? Like, I think so. I mean, yeah, this is. A classic for a reason, and yeah. the cast is one of those reasons. Let's get into just initial impressions, uh, overall impressions of the movie. This was the first Godfather you've seen. Was it the first, like, mafia movie, gangster movie you've seen of, so, of this sort?
0: No. In college, in a film class that I took, I was forced to be to be defiled <laughs> and watched Goodfellas. That's right. Okay. Which is a kick-ass movie, too. Yeah. It's, you know, right up there with all these films, I, I think
1: scorsese and coppola kind of come from the same group of uh right ucla well, directors didn't
0: coppola want scorsese to direct the second movie
1: i think so i right. think i heard that
0: somewhere but the studio wasn't up to that wasn't up for that and so they basically forced him back to direct right. the second at, at
1: that point scorsese kind of hadn't proven his directing chops yet that
0: makes sense but yeah i mean definitely cut from the same cloth and oh, right up there with Probably the best gangster movies. Both of those.
1: Yeah, for real. Like, I, I uh, was really into gangster movies as a teenager. But, like most, <laughs> like, most boys of that age, you know, I was into Scarface and Goodfellas. And but the
0: swearing, Ryan! Yeah, I right? Think,
1: like, <laughs> blood and killing people. So, we, we talk about a lot of these things like crime and misogyny and drugs and, and whether it's glorified in movies like this or not and it's interesting that this is an interesting one to look at and whether they glorify mob violence mm-hmm. and the mob Uh, patriarchal system and misogyny do you think it's glorified in this film or do you think that coppola does a good job of kind of telling you why all of these things aren't really a good thing
0: (laughs) you know he doesn't beat you over the head with his message about it i think it's left a little bit up to the interpretation of the viewer and i can see i can understand why you reading it as a teenager some of that stuff went over your head it sounds like yeah for me as a 30s mid-30s grown adult, Right. I definitely picked up on that, and I, I would stop short of saying that it glorifies mob violence Yeah. and all those things that you mentioned. However, I can also see how some people maybe think that it does. I don't so, know. It's,
1: it's hard. It's complicated, and there's some gray area there. I, I was reading this one review by a critic who mentioned that this was pretty much the start of films that kind of corrected the mob genre. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's like certain genres like westerns and mob movies, they would glorify these criminals as heroes, Mm -hmm. right? But newer westerns that have come out and newer mob movies that have come out, the directors and the screenwriters are trying to correct the genre by painting these characters more as anti-heroes. Yeah. Right. And so we get movies like Scarface, like Donnie Brasco, and TV series like The Sopranos, which paints a darker, grittier, and more realistic side to these mafiosos. Mm -hmm. They show the ugly side of mafia life, and what they do is they don't try to glamorize the lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I think for the most part, what Francis Ford Coppola is going for, and I think he achieves it, is to show both sides equally. Yeah. Because some parts definitely would seem glamorous but right. then you see the dark side too and he paints many layers he puts many layers into his portrayal of the characters for real and yeah. I, that's where really the, the movie really shined for me yeah is is it's many layers of nuance and how he portrays the characters they're not just they're not just caricatures of lobsters right. you know they, he portrays them as real people with you know all the intricacies of
1: what we are as humans you the, know they're very three-dimensional characters absolutely and, and many of them are playing are playing 4d chess in this movie <laughs> yeah. but speaking of you mentioned the dark side of these characters the cinematographer of this movie gordon willis he was named by some in the indus- in the industry they called him the prince of darkness Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the way he would light the interior scenes of the movie. And I, I, I yeah. don't know if you noticed that, like, when they're at, in the beginning, you know, in, in uh, Marlon Brando's, in, in The Godfather's office, it's a very dark scene, right? right? And a lot of that was to cover Marlon Brando's in heavy makeup. You know, he right. wasn't that old at the time. <laughs> when he filmed this movie, he wasn't that old. I could look up his age. I mean, but...
0: 72, yeah, he wouldn't have been
1: yeah. 80. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he had heavy makeup on and so the cine- the cinematographer was covering up his makeup basically.
0: Well, I I'm glad that you mentioned the lighting though because there are a lot of dark I I, don't know, I like the way that I really like the way that they used lighting throughout the movie. It's awesome
1: yeah. cinematography. Yeah. there's um a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of talks about uh, the cinematography of movies and sorry, this beer is making me stutter. <laughs> already already Woo, let's go but yeah check it out i'm not sure if he has a video on the godfather but i think something like that would fit right into his channel awesome do you have any more like behind the scenes information on this movie
0: i do have a little bit just okay. again from having a little bit of background re- in reading the the book and having done a little bit uh, of research. how long was
1: the book by the way i don't remember how long it was
0: you know i listened to it on audio okay. like you did so i couldn't tell you. Yeah. But it's a, it's a pretty long book. Right. I mean, we could definitely do a little Google search, but it's, it's not a short novel by any means. Right. In fact, a lot of what's in the novel doesn't make it into Godfather Part 1. Okay. But, and Godfather Part 2, a good portion of that film,
1: is taking it again from the book. Okay. So... And we're, we're not talking about Godfather Part 2 quite yet, but right. um, I just want to know, does the book go back and forth from in, in the timeline between uh, Vito and Michael?
0: Yeah, and we're going to get to that when we talk about Part 2, because okay. that's a big part of... Of the, movie. the story of yeah. the
1: movie, yeah. All right, so uh, what other behind the scenes information do you have on this?
0: So, The Godfather is for me personally, having had never seen the movie, I knew The Godfather through quotes <laughs> and parodies, right? So, of course, you know, make him an offer he can't refuse, right. um, keep your enemies cl- or keep your friends close and your enemies closer, right. And some of those really quotable lines of the movie were from Puzo's personal history. In fact, they're from his mother.
1: He (laughs) he based a lot of the lines from The Godfather
0: on the wisdom of his mother.
1: So those his, were actual things that his mother would say to him. So so not the don, but the dona. The dona, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I mean
0: I can I can kind of, if I squint my eyes, I could kind of envision a, a nice old lady saying some of those. Couldn't you, Ryan? Does your did any of your grandparents I, 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 have that kind of wisdom? I, I, I can imagine a little
1: old lady. Mario. <laughs> Mario, you come to me. You come to me on the day of your dad is love, my—I don't know. <laughs> you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding.
0: <laughs> right, cut that out, Marissa. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> cut whatever you cut anything out, Marissa. Oh. <laughs> um, but he 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 says that the dawn his those lines would come to him in the voice of his mother. Oh, that's and, interesting. And a lot of his humanity and courage, and I, I guess some of the lighter sides of him were what he experienced from his Mario. Italian mother.
1: Mario, son, hijo.
0: I'm going to
2: make you an offer you can't refuse. I'm going to make him an offer you can't refuse. <sighs> yeah, I can
0: see that. Yeah. Okay. You know, okay, that's so so there's a little behind-the-scenes <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> Um, if you will.
1: Did you know that George Lucas had a hand in this movie? I had no idea. Tell me about it, Ryan. So, according to an, unaccredi- an unaccredited YouTube channel, <laughs> George Lucas um, was a pro- production assistant on The Godfather. He spliced together certain montages, and he gave Coppola advice on some shots. Oh. Um, but he, he wasn't credited in the film. Sure. Yeah, he was just, you know, he came from that group of part friends. part of that, yeah. The what? What are they called? The I don't know. What something are they pack. People? Are they a pack? <laughs> I don't know. A pack of people. I don't know. Also, the studio Paramount. They wanted uh, Francis Ford Coppola to make a more modern day gangster film, mm-hmm. and for that time, it would be you know set in seventies. Sure. And that way, they could kind of keep it low budget. Uh, Coppola no. kept insisting and insisting, no, we have to do a period piece. We have to keep it true to the book, keep it true to the era. Yeah. And so he insisted that it be set in the 40s and the 50s, and they ponied up the dough. They gave him millions more dollars to make a period piece. I mean, I, I can't see it
0: working any other way, honestly. And especially after either. reading the novel, yeah, it's like, that would have
1: definitely not worked for me. Right. But, yeah. Now, you mentioned that Michael's sister, Connie... Played by Tolly Shire. You mentioned that Tolly Shire is related to Francis Ford Coppola.
0: Yeah, from what I read, she is also a Coppola. She's his younger sister. Okay. And I'm sure there's some really interesting story to that. That there's got to be some right story to that, like how that this happened. Pure, how he decided to cast nepotism. her. Or,
1: pure you know, nepotism. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Did you know that the baby in the baptism scene is played by Sophia Coppola? I did not know that either.
0: Yeah. But I guess if you're tr- if you're trying to keep things cheap... Right. That's a good way to do it, I guess. You know, hire your family.
1: I've, but, I've got kind of a gross fact that I want to mention just oh. because it is important and it is kind of... It, it does stand out. It makes this movie stand out as kind of controversial.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The actress Simonetta Stefanelli, who played Apollonia, uh, Michael's wife in Sicily... She was only sixteen during the production of the film. Scandalous, because yeah. I seem to remember some yeah she, there nudity, was some nudity in that here. part. So she would later refuse a career in Hollywood because producers wanted to basically exploit her sexuality. And, I mean, that's the dark side of Hollywood, right? Especially old Hollywood with the the way movies were produced. And hopefully things are on the right track now. But, yeah, you know, you get to some behind-the-scenes facts about some of these movies, some of these classics, and it's not all good things. It's not pretty. For Michael, though, it wasn't always Al Pacino that was supposed to play him. First they were going to go with Robert Redford. And they even did a screen test for Martin Sheen as the role of Michael.
0: I mean, I don't know how you can convince anyone
1: that Robert Redford is Italian. <laughs> he, I mean,
0: he's very, like, Irish. you he? Western European looking, I- isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say
1: Irish or, or Scottish. Scottish or... Yeah. yeah.
0: Anyway. Damn. I had no idea about that. Yeah. you know, but You know, as I was reading the book, you know who I was picturing for Michael Corleone? The entire book I was reading it. You I weren't pic- picturing Al Pacino. I was not picturing Al. Pacino. I hadn't seen the movie yet.
1: Oh, so you didn't know it was Al. Pacino. I mean, I
0: so I didn't even know what that character looked like in the film. Okay, I knew I knew who the Godfather looked like. I'd seen him many times in that right portrayed in that role. I always pictured George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> I, for some reason, little I just baby thought George Clooney, <laughs> Michael Michael Corleone. I just thought. <laughs> George Clooney, you know <laughs> why not? And I and I totally pictured um, Sonny Corleone as Robert De Niro because because I, I had known that Robert De Niro was in the movies right. somehow. I didn't know what character he played, and I just thought he would really fit in that in my imagination,
1: yeah. you know, in my mind's eye. Yeah, kind of this uh, brute, just gangster with a temper, kind of, yeah, right. with, with a huge temper. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So anyway. George Clooney, though, not to take That's away.
0: <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. I just
1: can we get one of those deep fakes, uh, deep fake videos with George Clooney on, oh, on Michael's let's go. face? Let's go. I want it. I want to see that. Um, before we get to the, the film itself, what, 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 we like to talk about themes of the movie, especially related to our backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are there any uh, takeaways from the movie that kind of reminded you of your religious background or anything like that? <sighs> Only that I can
0: understand why my religious leaders would have never wanted me to see this movie. Yeah. Just for the violence and the swearing. Although, you know, it's really interesting. We we, t- we talked very briefly about patriarchy mm-hmm. and the way that women are treated in this film. Yeah. And, I mean, God, you can look back to our religion, and you see patriarchy everywhere. Right. Maybe not to the violent extent that, you know, occurs in this film, but, I mean, no, there's abuse and maltreatment of women everywhere, not just in religion, but... Right. That is something that stood out to me, the way that women are treated.
1: Yeah. I mean, for real, this is a very misogynistic... I want to say a misogynistic film, because, again, I don't think it's glorifying it. I would say it presents misogynistic characters in a very realistic manner. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, the the protagonist of the movie, Michael, he's a very misogynistic person who ends up, you know, hitting his wife.
0: Well, in, in the book, from the very first scene in the book, is that you're seeing a woman being abused by her spouse. Right. And by a character who's not really in the films, it's Johnny Fontaine. Oh, okay. And actually, one thing that I really missed from both of the movies is I was kind of hoping for more Johnny Fontaine. Really? So
1: he's a a prominent uh, character in the book? A very
0: prominent character. Big swaths of the story are focused just on him. And so the book is really interesting because he he bounces around to the different characters in Mm -hmm. sort of vignettes or chapters Mm -hmm. more than all necessarily all together. And so there are big parts of the book that are just the story of Johnny Fontaine that I really... Kind of missed from the movie. Yeah, because in the movie
1: he does appear. He makes like a cameo, but he's basically just in the opening scene asking for a favor from from yeah. Don Vito.
0: Right, and so he plays this sort of Frank Sinatra just actor type kind of character, actor, actor, actor singer. singer. Yeah, and I actually really enjoyed his story in the book, and so that is one of my knocks on the movie is that I, I missed out on some of my favorite parts from the right. novel. So,
1: but. Um, Yeah, I mean, you brought up the misogyny, patriarchy that is inherent in most religious structures and, and you know, especially in in the the mafia structure here presented in the film. But yeah, in in religion itself, especially the religion we come from, most of them are structured in a patriarchal system, right? So uh, when I was watching this film... And watching them, you know, kiss the Godfather's ring and ask the Don for favors in and, and his office and everything. And, and the loyalty and the, you know, family did comes you, first. Did you
0: have any flashbacks to like bishop interviews? <laughs> it really reminded <laughs> me of
1: how the church is structured with all these old white men making decisions for everybody
0: it's so male heavy in all leadership positions and in fact i was reading just the other day that women were not even allowed to pray publicly in sacrament meetings until not very long ago like yeah. you know maybe 20 years ago no no not 20 years ago 30 30 40 years ago which isn't that long
1: yeah i was reading some quotes by brigham young on facebook today oh, <laughs> some old great. quotes just very misogynistic quotes. you pull some of those out, Ryan. I was looking for them, but honestly, I, I can't find them right now. And but you know what? It's probably for the best. If you want to
0: know, <laughs> it's just it's a Google search away, and you don't have to go back to Brigham Young or, or Joseph Smith or any of the early leaders of the Church to find misogynist quotes. You know, go back to Spencer W. Kimball or any of these people, and you're gonna you're gonna find stuff that yeah. might, that might disgust you a little bit.
1: You know, I, I could use, I don't know about you, but I could use a, a woman's perspective on, yeah. on how misogynistic the church Marissa, you know, is. obviously, it's, 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 it's easier for,
0: you know, two middle-aged white guys to sit over here and talk about it. Marissa, you're here, as you mostly usually are.
1: You you, you probably have first-hand
0: experience. You, well, I would love, you know, just tell tell us a little bit about your thoughts, even if it's just a short rant or whatever.
2: I'm really good at short rants <laughs> <laughs> not really
0: you know long rants for your specialty but go ahead
2: you make that sound like a bad thing no no come on come on come on over um we'll to the <clears throat> on. got
0: you thanks babe
2: hmm just, I mean the church is very patriarchal it's I think that was probably what made me watching this movie really hard yeah. I kind of checked out halfway through because at one point is it the first movie where he beats his pregnant wife
0: yeah yeah I mean there's Wife beating in both movies.
2: Kate, that's the point I'd kind of watched up until then. And then after that point, I was like, I can't watch this anymore. I get that that's a part of history. It's just hard. I think it strikes close to home that for a long time, women's voices haven't been heard. And <sighs> Josh can probably tell everybody that I'm, I'm pretty fiery. I, I love your fire. I don't think at first you did, though. I think at first it kind of shocked you. Well, I had
0: to get used to it.
2: I mean, you know, when you're when you're dating, especially in Mormon culture, and you're trying to get married, you have
0: to act very meek and you know, humble to your you
2: want to like significant other, you know, like if I'm too you want to look like the perfect
0: Mormon girl,
1: submissive to men. You you don't want to step out of line, right?
2: Well, and I've told Josh, I'm like, there there have been times, you know, maybe not. I mean, we don't really argue that much, but there have been times when we've discussed, and he'll be like, "You're just so stubborn," and I'm like, "So when a woman's stubborn, it's a bad thing." you know like then we're like being we're being like bitchy or ridiculous <laughs> but when a guy does it then he's just like masculine masculine and that's yeah. yeah like it's it's when you talk about it there are two sides it's and a the very way that they double refer, standard yeah yeah the way that they see and people talk about women is very opposite from when they talk about men with the same thing you right. know so i don't know like if i'm passionate then I'm just overbearing, and... I don't know. I mean, the patriarchal stuff is really hard for me. I, church history is what...
0: It hit a nerve for you, right?
2: Like, yeah, like, the, like you you specifically talked about Brigham Young and quotes that he said. Brigham Young right. treated his wives like shit. Yes, he, he did. did. He, his he many wives. He, he had how many wives? Like, 50-something almost? He, he 40 wanted something?
1: infinite wives. He, he said it very clearly. He wanted infinite wives and infinite children.
2: Well, but the wives that he didn't enjoy, for anybody who wants a really really good religious history for Mormonism. Of. <laughs> what?
1: He just got oh. rid of them, basically.
2: No, he, he did. they were he, destitute. He would send them. Yeah. They were destitute because they relied on him. But he would send them off to he called it I'm pretty sure it was called like like the, the dairy house or the dairy farm.
1: Okay, this I don't know about. Okay. You'll have
2: to an amazing help. podcast and I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out is
0: The Year of Polygamy the podcast. podcast. The Year
2: of Polygamy Podcast.
0: We'll put it we can put it on our by, notes
2: uh feminist housewives i think
0: okay
2: anyhow i will link it to the notes i it's been a long time it's been a long time since i've done it but they yeah. have extensive history church history okay and when they got to the brigham young wives part i really struggled because when he didn't get along with his wives or his wives weren't as submissive as he wanted them to be
1: right. he
2: literally just sent them away and forgot about them and yep. wouldn't send them hardly any money these women were like struggling to survive, so I think he he
1: had like a zero tolerance role for all of his wives.
2: No, and here's the thing: I I get really passionate about that. That was like kind of a little side tangent. Sorry.
1: No, you're good. This is. I think this is important to to relate uh, the misogyny that was very real in the the mafia system and, and mafia families and Italian families back in this day with how women are treated today in religious structures such as the one we, we grew up in or we we lived in for a while.
2: Well, I, I think sometimes I can imagine that a lot of men, maybe not all of them, but I, I think that it's easy for men to kind of roll their eyes and be like, it's not that bad.
0: It is. But that's it why is. That's why it's important to listen to yeah. women, to, to people like you, like, who it really genuinely affects. Although I it affects everyone, it especially affects you, and we need to listen to what
2: yeah, you know, and, and you it took me ten years as an adult, a grown woman yeah. who was who was married, to realize how bad that it was. Right. And then once I realized, I I couldn't go back. You know.
1: For so, me.
2: So yeah, I mean, it it ties into so much with it really does and stuff, and that's honestly the biggest part. And I kept turning to Josh through this movie, and I was like, I thought you said that this is about family, and he's like, Well, it is, and I'm like, Well, <laughs> they they treat their family like shit. Yeah. Like, they're killing each other and like making all these threats. Like, how, how many people were like gunned down and the way that they treated their wives.
1: If you want a more wholesome movie about, about family, go watch the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were going to get to that. I knew we were going to get to I it. I was waiting for you, Ryan. Marissa, we truly appreciate your perspective because, as Josh says, as two middle-aged white guys, there are some aspects of life that we just haven't lived um, especially from Mm -hmm. the female perspective and I don't know about you Josh but I'm still constantly going through a process of deprogramming as a grown male you know just deprogramming my mind how I've been taught to think and how I've been taught to talk to women how to treat women how to listen to women and it's a constant uh, a constant battle and and one which um, is not always easy but one that I'm constantly trying to better in myself.
0: Right. I mean the programming the programming is strong, man, and it's hard. You know, we we try to be empathetic, but there's no way for us to really experience what women go through. So, well, and
2: I think my last comment here is that I appreciate any man who isn't trying to say, oh well, I know it's right or I know how it was, but kind of like what you, Ryan said and Josh. That you just you're trying hard. My new kind of personal motto is when you know better, you do better. And I think that you can hold on to that and move past whatever programming, and as it comes up, you know, deal with it. Like sometimes I have really intense emotions and I I fire up and I lash out at Josh and he's like, Where is this coming from? And I'm like, I don't know. And I I've had to train myself to like calm down and really explore why I'm feeling a certain way. And I've had a lot of feelings come up regarding church stuff. Yeah. And being like, I mean, like I realized that I haven't felt heard, and when this happened, or when so and so said this or did this, I felt like somebody was trying to put me back in that box. Right. So sorry, I don't. I haven't even really been listening. I just heard you guys talking about like church leaders, and I came wow. in with my middle fingers glazing. <laughs>
0: thank you. <laughs> well, you're spot on, and yep. I, like Ryan said, we really
1: appreciate your perspective. So thank you. Mm. All right, I think we've talked enough about the backstory of this film, the the behind the scenes and the themes. Why don't we go ahead and get to the, the plot of the film? Absolutely. Really quick, is it okay if I just interject one little thing before we get to the plot? Yes, please, please
0: do. So we just had a great segment with Marissa where she was really vulnerable with us and talking about some of her feelings about being a part of a misogynistic and patriarchal organization or system. right. And we had some great feelings shared. And I just, I, I, again, want to thank her. But then also point out the fact that what good movies do, in my opinion for me, is bring out emotions. And that is what this movie has done. Yeah. And it's some, it's uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Some of the emotions that you experience in this film are absolutely terrible. But I just wanted to point that out as we move in now to
1: talking about the plot of the movie. Right. And th- that's a good point. I don't think this movie takes a stance or or has a a motive behind it, it's basically just telling a story about these characters. As, As dark as they are, as gritty as they are, it's telling the story of the Corleone family of how crime corrupts people, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, we're talking about Godfather 1, people. <laughs> Let's go. So, so uh, the movie starts with a old-fashioned backyard wedding reception for Connie, the Corleone daughter. We have Don Vito Corleone, a.k.a. the Godfather.
0: The Godfather.
1: Played by Marlon Brando.
0: You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, and you ask me for a favor. <laughs> sent you come
2: into my house on the day my daughters to be married, and you ask me to do murder, for money. I ask you for justice. That is not justice. Your
0: daughter is still alive. Let them suffer then. She suffers.
1: Yes, this is- I, I have to go almost constipated to do the <laughs> the Marlon Brando impression. For oh. This
0: one. But doesn't isn't it such a cool performance though? It's so
1: cool. Like um, one of the most badass movie performances ever. Yeah. And obviously that, that wasn't his real voice. Um he had like a a dental implant or something right. for the movie. Yeah, he did. It caused him caused his jaw, his bottom jaw to kind of jut out.
0: I'm actually really interested as to why they decided to go that way because yeah. it's never really mentioned. As far as I can remember in the book that he talks any different than right. a normal person. I'm pretty know? sure that was a, a Marlon
1: Brando choice.
0: Was it a Marlon Brando special? I'm I'm pretty sure, you know. That I mean, makes sense, but you know what? It totally worked yeah. and brought that character to like a totally another level. You know, it was it was awesome.
1: Right. So he's got this mansion and is a New York or is that what their where their house New Jersey or the East Coast. New York, or New Jersey. Um, he conducts business inside the house from his office. He's accompanied inside his office by his son, Sonny, the older son, and right. his adopted son, the, his lawyer, Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny, played by uh, James Caan, and Tom, the lawyer, played by Ro- Robert Duvall. Right. Both excellent performances. Impeccable, especially. I loved it, yeah. yeah. The youngest son, Michael, played by Al Pacino, He's attending the wedding as well, but he's not inside the meeting, right? Right. He's at the wedding dressed in his army regalia. Right. At, at
0: this point, he's very, uh, he's aloof from the family. He's not a part right. of the family
1: business and very, I guess, he's sort of the Switzerland in this. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, the, the neutral uh, member of the family. He, uh, he made a vow mm-hmm. to himself, basically, to stay away from the, the business. And he's a World War II vet, um, and but a civilian at this point. hmm um, he's attending the wedding with his girlfriend Kay, played by right. God, Diane Keaton. Right. So in the Don's office, several people are coming in and out. Uh, they're asking the Don for, for favors. That's basically how they conduct right. business, And, right? and the,
0: the, tradition is if you ask for a favor on the day of his daughter's wedding, that he can't say no. Right. Like, literally can't say no.
1: And so of course, I, I, I wonder how far him. that goes though. I, I, there's <laughs> gotta be a limit to that. I would right? do
0: anything <laughs> for love. No. But, I mean, he, he he comes through for all of these guys that yeah. are asking him for favors, doesn't he, Ryan?
1: Right. So, as so we get uh, Bonacera, who's an undertaker, he comes in and calls on a favor of revenge against the person who committed a crime against his own daughter. Uh-huh. And the other is Johnny Fontaine, who you mentioned earlier. Right. The actor who wants the Don's help in landing a role in an upcoming movie. Yes. Like you say, uh, Vito, D- Don Vito, he can't say no, so he says yes to both of these he sends tom his lawyer to la to speak with the owner of the movie studio Mm -hmm. he's told by Vito to basically make him an offer he can't refuse rich we find out what that is later (laughs) right the movie studio guy refuses to give a role to johnny at first when after talking to tom Mm -hmm. so the next day what happens he finds his prized racing horse decapitated with
0: the head in his bed
1: I mean shit that's was, some intense stuff man. That yes, shit was gory it was bloody it was <laughs> realistic it's just a blood drip severed head of a horse. I mean it was yeah it was crazy. <laughs> Then the Corleone family receives an invitation from a gangster named Solasso to help finance and protect a drug smuggling operation. Mm-hmm. Other crime families in the area, they're already involved. So, Tom and Sonny, they see this as a great opportunity to right. you know, grow the, the family empire.
0: Mm-hmm. And kind of the five families kind of working together, I I guess you could say. Right. right. they all, yeah, they want um, them to be
1: a part of it. Vito, though, the godfather, he's hesitant at first, you know, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty in the way of drug smuggling, and but also he's skeptical about Solasso's intentions.
0: Sure, and um, well, one of the reasons they want the Don's help is because he has connections with senators and polit- he has the best political connections. Right. But also, you know, even the senators and the, the politics, they, they don't want anything to do with drugs Either So right. the, he, he has the potential risk of losing some of his power that he's, you know, obtained.
1: Right. And, and power is very important to Vito. Right. Whereas Michael, we find out that later, a legitimacy is more important. For Vito, it's more about power. And for the others, like maybe
0: Sonny or, or Tom, it's more about money. Yeah, I, I think to so. Or for the other families, it maybe is more about money. Right. Because, I mean, you have these three, you know, great, like, things... Constantly,
1: I don't know, Mm it would be difficult to find a balance. Right. It's interesting how they try to balance everything and how impossible it becomes. Right. (laughs) Uh, Vito basically has his two guys. He has Tom, I mean, uh, aside from Sonny, who, you know, is just a a wild card, right? Right. He has Tom, the lawyer, who is kind of the brains and kind of the, the calm negotiator, and then he has Luca, the... Luca Brazzi. Right. The badass assassin, basically. <laughs> the the brawn, right? The, yeah, the brawn. The mm-hmm. powerhouse guy who... who He's the muscle, mm-hmm. right? And so he sends Luca to investigate Solasso. And things don't end well for Luca.
0: No, nope.
1: Luca got done dirty. Yeah, he's killed. And after that, an attempt is made on Don Vito's life while he's shopping for fruit in an outside market. Mm-hmm. Um, he survives, and Sonny tempora- temporarily takes over the family operations.
0: Yeah, no, the interesting thing about that is the first meeting with Solazzo, Sonny made a huge mistake. I don't know if it's really, they really talk about it in the film, but it's re- they really talk about it in the book. His mistake was that he sort of voiced an opinion other than the gu- the Dons. It doesn't
2: make any difference to me what a man does for a living, I understand. But uh, your business is... Uh... A little dangerous. If you're worried about security for your million, the Tatalya's will guarantee it. Are you telling me that the Tatalya's guarantee our
0: investment?
2: Wait a minute. I have a sentimental weakness for my children and I spoil them as you can see. They talk when they should listen.
0: And so so Solazzo, seeing that, knows that there's a a chance that if they get rid of the Don, and Sunny's in charge, that that will make it easier for them to get a deal.
1: Okay, they may have mentioned that in the film. I, I may have missed it. So that was that was a big a big piece of what happened, right? And then that's the thing about Sonny, right? Is I, I'm sure they go into more detail in the book, like you say. But he is a wild card in the movie. You, you never know where his temper is going to go, what he's going to do. He's he's just. Um, the, I think the the Don would rather have him on the sidelines than right. handling operations, even though he's the oldest son and technically, you know. the the heir apparent to the family business. Right. Because it, it is a hierarchical patriarchy. Right. Michael then goes to visit his father in the hospital, but he finds out that the people that were supposed to be protecting his father aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, so he moves his father into hiding and he stands guard himself. He gets a weapon and he stands guard to ward off any possible assassin. Michael then goes to interrogate, uh, this crooked police officer by the name McCluskey, Officer McCluskey, uh-huh. about why the fuck his father wasn't, wasn't being protected in the right. hospital. Right. Um, McCluskey just <laughs> ends up knocking Michael Well, off. he's owned by Solotso, Right. Basically all the police are. that's what we find out right that uh, the police are working with Soloso so Michael uh, wants to broker a deal he, he tells McCluskey officer McCluskey and Soloso to meet him at a restaurant to broker a peace deal he grabs a gun that he previously hid in the bathroom this is kind of a cool oh story. you're oh like you right into the assassination stuff yeah so but before but this before that
0: before this he gets punched out by McCluskey right right And he really takes a hit to his pride. And so part of his motivation for what we're about to talk about is revenge,
1: really, and like anger and pure
0: hatred for this guy.
1: Yeah, I I guess so, right? It's kind of a, a, a personal revenge story, which kind of... But also, you know, he's getting revenge on behalf of his father also.
0: Sure. And in the book, he's also... His face is disfigured. Oh, interesting. His jaw is broken. And so, and like wired back together, but never get he never gets surgery to correct it, oh. and so his nasal cavity is constantly dripping. Wow. He, ha- he can't talk completely normal. <laughs> so it's, like pretty intense. That's uh,
1: that's a lot more descriptive in the book.
0: I see. This is what I, we're gonna talk about. This more, but this no. is why. If you really want to enjoy the movie, don't read the book first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go
1: ahead. Well, that, that's awesome. I, the, I, I might reread the book. Go for to, it, man. You know, get the extra details. So
0: we're talking about the handgun behind the toilet.
1: Right. So he, he gets the gun, and, and then what happens? He
0: goes to the bathroom, grabs the gun, walks back in. The plan was... That he walks in and guns firing. Right. But instead he goes and sits down at the table, they continue talking a little bit and then he just gets up and blows them away. <laughs> right. You know. Doing their chat. It's
1: kind of um yeah, just kind of a an, an evil way to do things. <laughs> it's pretty
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's kind pretty of psychotic.
1: Badass. Yeah. He's basically forced to, to flee to Sicily at this point, right? He, right. He, he can't stay in New York. There's no way he can get around it. Right. After killing a cop. People are after him. All, all five families.
0: <laughs> right. No, I mean, and war breaks out between all of the five families in New York. Right. Like the five mob families.
1: So Michael flees to Sicily, um, he, while he's hiding out in Italy, uh, Vito, Don Vito returns home from the hospital. Um, Sonny and Tom have a discussion, they uh, discuss possibly escalating the war with uh, the other crime families. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the one that was working with Soloso. But then Sonny finds out that his sister Connie was getting beat up by her husband Carlo. Right. He's a real piece of crap in this movie. Real piece of shit, Carlo. And Connie, you know, defends him as much as she can. Right. Which is there's the there's the one scene where
0: James Con's character, Sonny, finds out that he's been hitting her. smart Where is
2: Sonny, please, it was my fault. Sonny, it was my fault. I hit him. I started to fight with him, please,
0: Sonny. I hit him. I... And he drives to the gambling area or whatever and beats the shit out of this guy. Like yeah. completely I mean oh, with like, a trash can. With a trash can, <laughs> like every like he just yeah.
2: Just
1: again, I'll kill you. Totally kicks the crap out of him. Yeah, it almost beats him to death, basically. Right. Um, but that wasn't enough of a message, apparently, for Carlo. He ends up beating on his wife again, on Connie, and she calls up Sonny crying. And he goes off in a fit of rage to find and kill Carlo. But, like most things in this movie... It's a trap! It's a trap, right? Being unaccompanied by any bodyguards, Sonny goes off. He stops at a toll booth. They're following behind
0: him, because he's in so much
1: rage. He just jumps in his car and starts driving. Yeah, just alone, right? Stops at a toll booth, and he's gunned down by the men in the car in front of him. So, yeah, then we get the death of Sonny. R.I.B. So sad. Yeah, and so after Sonny's death, uh, we cut to Sicily, where we see Michael... Living his life there, he uh, starts dating this woman named Apollonia. Apollonia. He, they get married, but the marriage lasts like two seconds before she's killed. Oh, love
0: lost, <laughs> love lost. So sad. You know, he, they, the five families have, you know, people in Sicily, and yeah. they go after him and they try to kill him, but in the process, you know, he's spared, I suppose, somehow. Yeah, she dies
1: in a car bomb right, incident. Right. Right. And he's devastated. And then we cut back to New York. Uh, Vito's in a meeting with the five crime families. Mm -hmm. They're all meeting together to see if they can sort out this mess and come to agreement on some sort of peace accord. Vito vows to not seek revenge, Mm -hmm. vengeance for Sonny's murder, if Michael's allowed to safely return to New York. And so that happens. Uh, Michael returns. I mean, and a very eloquent speech given by
0: the Don Juan Rando. He has a lot of good
1: speeches in this I mean, he
0: does, right? Like, he's... Showing his acting chops right there as a legend. Uh, Really good acting. Great acting and great
1: screenwriting from Mm -hmm. his dialogue in his films. Absolutely. So Michael returns. He starts working for his father, something he never wanted to do first place. Right. He gets engaged to Kay. Michael, now as temporary head of the family, because Vito is still, you know, he has his health issues and everything. Right. And Sonny's dead.
0: Well, he's kind of
1: taking a step back, but also planning for the future, you know, with Michael. Right. So, Michael makes plans to move the family to Las Vegas, right, to enter the casino Mm -hmm. business. Right. He wants to get out of New York, he wants to expand the family empire, but make the family legitimate.
0: Right. All above board, right, right,
1: in the next five years. He makes a promise to his wife. Right. And that's important for later on in these films, the promise that he makes to to Kay. But before the move to Las Vegas can happen, he needs to tie up any loose ends in New York, right? So, the first thing he does is he, surprisingly to me, he demotes Tom as advisor. Right. Right? And he, you, he only wants the advice of his father, basically. Right?
0: Well, so, the, uh, you get more of this from the book. Okay. But um, Tom is made like the right-hand man of the Don. Yes. And traditionally, that is a position only for a Sicilian. And so even it would have though, to be the
1: biological son,
0: not even no, it doesn't have to be his son. Okay, but they have to be Sicilian,
1: right? And, Tom and so in this Thomas is Irish, Irish. I mean, Irish. I'm
0: Irish.
2: I'm German Irish. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so that makes all the other families lose confidence a little bit in their in the Corleone family yeah. because he's not a Sicilian. But the thing is, is that if the right hand man squeals or talks, like that's basically the only person that could completely make the family. Like go under. Okay, if, if he was to spill the beans, right? Like right. Or rat rat them out. So, so so he doesn't don't trust fully, him as much. He doesn't fully trust Tom. Not fully trust. Okay. But but also it's a for appearances. I think he he does fully trust him. Yeah. But for the sake of appearances
1: and things, he, it's just not it's not right for him to be in that position. Right. Well, we see them spoilers, but we see them work pretty well together in the second in the second film. film. Yeah. yeah. All right, so, uh, Tom is demoted, and Vito is um, Michael's right-hand man, for the most part, his advisor. We get a scene where Vito is playing with Michael's son, Vito's grandson, in the backyard. And this is a sad scene. It is, though, isn't
0: it? He it's has a heart it's attack. kind of
1: tragic. He, he has a heart attack in the middle of playing with his grandson. He uh, has this funny, moves. funny moment where he puts an orange pill in his <laughs> Right, <mouth. laughs>
0: But it's like, like we talked about earlier... Uh, in our discussion seeing all of the different sides of yeah. some of these characters and, and you see even like the silly like grandfatherly yeah. side of, of the Don so right and you know of course right before his tragic death but
1: right and, and just an innocent moment with his grandson he collapses and dies uh, we're nearing the end of the film later we get the baptism scene Michael had been asked by his sister Connie to be the godfather of her and Carlos' mm-hmm. child. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're still together is mind-boggling. Yeah, the, the scenes intercut with scenes of the Corleone family taking out the heads of the other families. Like- to basically ensure that Michael becomes the mafia boss of the city, right? Finally though, Michael has to take out two traitors to the family. First one he takes out is Tessio, mm-hmm. who was an old associate of Vito's of mm-hmm. the father, and the second one was Carlo, who had been feeding information to the other families, and that's basically what led up to Sonny's death. Right. So, Carlo, Connie's husband, was directly uh, responsible for, for Sonny's death. Yes. So he's taken out, and then uh, Connie, uh, in the, one of the final scenes, accuses Michael uh, of her husband's death. She freaks out on him, like you mm. say. Yeah.
2: Michael, you lousy bastard. You killed my husband. You waited until Papa died so nobody could stop you, and then you killed him. You never thought about me. You never gave a damn about me. And you stood godfather to our baby. You lousy, cold-hearted bastard. That's your husband! That's your husband! Come on. No, no, no.
1: A stirring performance from Talia yeah. Shire, I mean I mean, yeah, it was a great performance. Yeah. Very emotional. Michael denies it though, he he denies it to both Connie and to Kay that he had anything to do with Carlo's death.
0: Although but Kay, Kay, I Kay think knows you she she can, she, she can, can see Diane Keaton's face.
1: Diane Keaton is a great actress. You can see in her face she knows everything that went down. Mm-hmm. And he retreats into his office and closes the door.
0: Right. Because when they get married, they make a pact to not speak about business. Right. To never, never discuss the business.
1: And that's the end of the movie. Why don't we get into the final thoughts? What did you think of this film? How would you rate it?
0: I'm actually really I'm actually really impressed that we were able to give a summary of this movie in the short time that we did. You always like me to, to talk about that first, right, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Since okay. I'm coming in, you know, really, well, mostly fresh. Mm-hmm. I just, I have to say, I do wish... That I would not have read the book first. Right. I kinda wish I would have watched the movie first and then maybe gone back and read the book. Because I think as you know, the, what often happens is you read the book and you watch the movie and you're let down a little bit because you just you cannot get everything in. You yeah. can't de- you can't develop the story and the characters as much as you can in a novel. You just can't. Right. And then they basically cut out my favorite character from the novel, Johnny Fontaine. Mm-hmm. However, This movie is a cinematic masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, it really is. We talked about the cinematography, the actors, the cast in this movie are phenomenal. The performances all around are amazing. I was entertained with the movie. I loved, you know, following the story of everything. And I, irregardless of some of the themes, like the really heavy themes in this movie, it was just really interesting to me, uh, the dynamics of this family and everything that happens in the movie, in the story. The dynamic family. A very dynamic family. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want me to just give out the Golden the golden Idol right yeah. now? how many Golden Idols
1: would you rate this film?
0: So, I cannot give it a perfect rating. I can't because they cut out my favorite character from the book.
1: <laughs> Johnny Fontaine. Yeah.
0: So, I'm going to give it a four and a half. 4.5 <laughs> stars. Or not stars. What am I talking about? 4.5. Four and a half Golden Idols. You get how four, dare you tarnish our four full Golden reputation. Idols <laughs> and then the ass half of the fifth Golden Idol. Okay? <laughs>
1: The ass half, Yeah. (laughs) No one wants to be the ass half. Well, sorry. (laughs) All right, fair enough. Um, Yeah, I mean, with with novels, you're doing a lot of world-building when you write a novel. Right. I'm sure Mario Puso spent years on, you know, just developing that world and those characters, and then the adaptation probably didn't take as long.
0: Honestly, they could have cut The Godfather, the first part, into two films, and then had the second... Anyway... There's just so much that you, you right. can't do. You it know? could have been a, a... They could have made a quad film. Yeah, or
1: they could quad, have made more, but... Quadrilogy. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, this was one of the first movies in the mafia genre that I, I saw. It was I knew it was a classic at the time when I saw it. I rewatched it for you know this podcast, and there are criticisms, new criticisms that I have for the film, especially how it uh, treats certain subjects. But for the most part, I think that this film doesn't take a stance on too many of those subjects. It really just presents these characters how they are, right? Right, it's part of presenting a story intellectually and to a broad audience at the same time. So the in- intellectual audience will get that its characters being presented just as they are gritty, dark characters, whereas a broader audience will just like the action and sure and the acting. But yeah, this was great movie to watch again. I enjoyed it uh, this viewing. I'm going to give it a rating of four golden idols. Ooh, Ryan, I rated it higher than you. You did. That doesn't um, happen very often on this. I, I on do this love podcast. this film. I, I love the performances. There are certain moments of the film that I kind of doze off.
0: <laughs> I
1: mean, it's a freaking long movie. But um, a little bit of a slow burn at times. I I do feel like it has a lot of re-watchability. And so four Golden Idols, I think that's pretty high. That's a great score. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, Tune in next week. We'll be talking about The Godfather Part 2. Hopefully we're sober enough to give you a coherent discussion. (laughs) We shall see. Yet to be determined. (laughs) All right. We love you. Tune in next week. Adios. son, hijo. I'm gonna make you an offer. You can't refuse.